Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have I Love You Man, starring Paul Rudd, Jason Siegel, and Rashida Jones. Screenplay by John Hamburg and Larry Levin, and directed by John Hamburg. Welcome back to Rice Smile Films. We're wrapping up this film review cask. Uh, we could all use a good laugh right now. It's been nice to just kind of chuckle during a lot of these movies and just have a nice laugh there on the couch. But um, we're wrapping up this one with I Love You Man from 2009. Of course, uh, you know, if you listen to last week's episode, we picked from the bowl and this was um, Brett's uh, film choice for the week. So thank you, Brett, for this one. Nice to revisit this. I hadn't seen this in about six or seven years. So yeah, it's, same. it's been a while. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's go ahead and... Um, let's Finishing go. off something else today too, aren't you happy? Oh, yeah, yeah, we got... Goodbye to the bookers. We got quite a little bit to get through there. You got to <laughs> yeah. do some more? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> No, we got to get through this one because we got a we got a cool bottle coming up for I think a pretty cool cask. So yeah, yeah, we got we got some work to do. Uh, cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. Yeah, excellent. Yep, I'm still not a fan. You took it like a champ. <laughs> still not a fan. Virginia, <laughs> because it's like that's like seventy five, eighty, eighty dollars for Booker's, I know and it, it comes in that little like case, plastic uh, wood case. Yeah. Plastic wood case. <laughs> well, it's, pl- it's a plastic shield. It's not even glass. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah. It's. I it, it, think for eighty bucks you could get some real damn glass on the case, huh? And let's see. I'll get. So here's why it's kind of burning so well because there's a good burn. One hundred and twenty-four point seven proof. Yeah, that'd do it. <sighs> yeah. That's why I was wondering because the last time we had, I was like, man, that kind of burns. Like, I told you, I've been having like a lot of heartburn lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it was the bourbon. <laughs> well, that's that's. Very, very high grade. Very high. I don't know if we've had one that high before. No. no. That, that ride that Mark brought for Return of the Jedi was like 120, 125, I think. Okay. It was around this range. Yeah, you can feel that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Let's get to our flight question. the heads bob in the studio yeah oh, i love that you yeah. said that was your favorite rush song right by, by a mile yeah and there's plenty of other ones i like too but that's number one that one has a great you know just kind of bridge and then the guitar solo and just overall just an amazing finale we're going to talk about rush here coming up but their lyrics are always pretty ridiculous well to rush yeah and things mr. that are mr yes. neil pert yeah it's yes. neil pert all right, so Brett was able to hook us up not only with the film this week, but with our flight and nightcap questions. So our flight question for the week posed by Mr. Brett is, which comedy film or character would translate well to episodic television? And I'll go ahead and read his choices first. Okay. He actually thought Horrible Bosses would be a pretty good television show. He says, I love the movie, but drawing out the investigative process and many failed attempts to kill the bosses would be pretty great over the course of a series. Even the plot of Horrible Bosses 2 could translate well. So, yeah, there's a lot of, that's a high concept idea already. And, yeah, you could really stretch that out over 12 episodes on, like, an AMC. Yeah, I'd probably watch that. My guy Jason Bateman. Yeah. Would it be them, though? You see, that this is where it gets interesting. And maybe I'll mention this in my pick. I don't know. When you 
take an idea and then put it on television. Sometimes you can't get the the same actors. So are you basing your idea based on the actors in it or the idea? I'm going to let you go first. Do you want me to answer that or you want me to tell you? Because I I think my answer might actually sort of tie into this. Okay. I really enjoy the Hoover family, and that's the family that is front and center in Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. So I think if you take what that movie is and look at it in episodic TV, it probably falls in a darker kind of sitcom place. Here's the trick, though. You can't do that movie anything less than R. Yeah. So I'm not sure what is the proper venue for that. It might be a Netflix or maybe Amazon prime. Cause if you're going to do it at seven o'clock on ABC, it's going to suck. Well, everything at seven o'clock on ABC sucks. So that goes without saying, but that was sort of ties into what you just said. Is it, you want the same people? Do you want the same characters? Do you want the same family? And then can you produce it in what we liked in film? Horrible bosses is in the same category. Yeah. There's nothing less than PG or R. I'm sorry. There's nothing less than R about that. Mm-hmm. And if you like that kind of humor, mm-hmm. then you can't tone it down to a lesser degree and make yeah, it work. Not for network television. But I love that film. And I think after we have our <laughs> award-winning performance by Abigail Breslin mm-hmm. in the beauty pageant, then them coming back and just the trials and tribulations of just everyday domestic life oh, as yeah. they tackle it mm-hmm. is something that I would love to see. I like the characters. We talked about Tony Collette, mm-hmm. Greg Kinnear's fantastic in that film. Paul Dano. What is it like now that he's finally allowed himself to speak without having spoken for a matter of years? Yeah. I think that could be a number of things yeah. you could look at. And I say situation comedy, because how does that family go to the supermarket <clears throat> mm-hmm. as dysfunctional as they are and aware of it? That's what's so great about that. They're very, very aware of their dysfunction. So are you saying the characters is what makes that film? I, for me, that, that movie's a character piece, yeah. So do you feel like you could supplant different actors into those roles and it could kind of have the same feel? I guess you can. For, for me, though, of co- yeah, you can, of course. You, with everybody out there, of course you can. You'll probably get Greg Kinnear. Prob- yeah, you could probably get Greg Kinnear. Um, you might be able to get Abigail Breslin right now, too. Yeah. Steve Carell might be willing to hop between television and film like he does. Yeah, yeah. he's fantastic in that film, too. Interesting. Um, that was just, it just, I, I'm just kind of, kind of spitballing here. So much of comedy though is the timing, right? Yeah. And it's the setup and then the payoff and the, the pentameter between the dialogue. So much of it is that. And in that movie, they are really good at playing off and with each other. So if you remove that chemistry and then put in six new people that play the same characters, they may not have that. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, how do you produce something each week that is as interesting as getting to the beauty pageant on time? Sure. But I mean, it's soccer practice. Do we have uh, tryouts at the high school for the basketball team? There's any number of things that we can do, but it's got to be done in a way that it still adheres to the edginess or the deadpan <clears throat> of that film. Yeah, maybe FX could work on that network. Got to be after like nine, though, Jesse. It's got to be as much as you can push an R-rated premise. Mm -hmm. And maybe that means it's subscription services and not premier cable. Because I'm trying to think, I guess Breaking Bad was pretty hard. That's what I was thinking. I was like like AMC, FX, and HBO. HBO for sure. The stars. Yeah. Like those work there, but like not network tell, not like NBC, ABC, CBS, like. No. 
No. Cool. I like your I like your choice. Thank yeah, you. I'd like to. I wonder what that would look like. But there's so many different adventures you could take with that family. Exactly. Cool. All right. Let's hear what you have. Yeah, I tried to kind of look at this from the setting. So I thought Caddyshack, I was like, because like you could have so many golf course adventures with, I don't want any of those actors in, in the thing, and most some of them are dead anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, But it's, it's this, the setting that makes it work. So I thought about that one for a little bit, but then I thought about another entry that's already a parody of a television show, and I think it could work pretty well on episodic television. That's Galaxy Quest. Um, it's you a, love that movie. I do. Mm-hmm. I did, just because, like, you know, that's P, that's a PG movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's really funny and smart for, for PG, and I don't, I don't say that a lot. <laughs> no, it's a really good movie. Yeah. And I think you, you could, I think my idea, you could probably get away with that on NBC or ABC. I'd prefer if it was on a premium network just because I think the shows there are of a better quality. But I think it could work on any of those formats. You could probably get, get Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, not Ellen Rickman, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. But um, you get Tony Shalhoub too. Like that, that's a, probably a pretty gettable cast to have them return to their roles. No question. And then the way the film ended was they were traversing the galaxy with the aliens. <laughs> they could just get into adventures as actors playing a part in this science fiction show, which is, that's really weird. <laughs> I think it could be great though. Yeah. Um. I like that. Yeah. So either of those. Yeah. I I tried. I thought about Office Space, but I was like, I was like, we had The Office already, but like, I was like, man, The Office Space is a show would be pretty good. And Mike Judge has handled television before, so I thought about that one. But I really tried to look at like at the the environment because you know we've talked about comedy, whether it being the type. There's also the like environmental comedy, like built around an occupation or or a setting uh, or something like that. So yeah, horrible bosses. I feel like feel fits that something like Caddyshack, even Ghostbusters to an extent as well. Things, yeah. things like that. It's uh, interesting. There hasn't been too many. I think I mentioned last week, there was a fast time show that was on for like five episodes and it was universally terrible. Not good. So it's kind of hard to do. I can't really think of too many that have like made that jump. Well, I know that's not comedy, but mm-hmm. if you look at like Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. I think that got a couple runs on Fox. Maybe it's still going on. Um, and they were trying to get a, a Beverly Hills Cop off the ground too, and that just never happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. Brett, thank you very much for that flight question. Loved your entry, and um, yeah, just kind of looking at at these actors and you know what might translate well is is, is great. Can I have one honorable mention briefly? You can have as many as you want. <laughs> Mystery Men. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Mystery Men would play really well. Again, a really gettable cast. Mm-hmm. I love Hank Azaria. Yeah. I don't know if you ever watched Brockmire. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. And I think that could also play really well as it's not situation comedy. That's sort of spoofy science fiction superhero. Yeah. If you guys have not seen Mystery Men, that was a movie that a lot of people missed, and it's it's well worth your time. Is that William H. Macy? Is William the, H. The Macy, shoveler? the shoveler. Janine Garofalo is the bowler. Hank Azaria is the blue Raja. Paul um, Rubens is the... Paul Rubens is the, the spleen. The fart one. Yeah, the spleen. <laughs> it's terrific. It's, it's actually, that's actually a really good movie. I like that. Yeah. Um, so Greg Kinnear also in that film. <laughs> and Greg Kinnear was just like Mr. 90s. Yeah. Jeffrey Rush, too, is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Dr. Frankenstein or whatever his name I, I is. I haven't seen that in, in quite a few years. That might be one we should 
consider sp- yeah on like maybe a spoof cast we should just do like b-list superhero because you know what i watched uh this last week only for like 20 minutes was the the phantom with billy zane mm. there was so many times in the 90s where they were trying to jump start like superhero stuff and it just like they all just crashed like, yeah all of them yeah crazy well man it was great i love your i want to see little miss sunshine on fx yeah i'd be willing to watch that either of those films or shows would be terrific that'd be great let's are you listening out there? We've got the idea. We'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll write the Bible. Excellent. Let's get to our review breakdown of I Love You, Man. Zoe, here's the deal. Peter's always been a girlfriend guy. He put all his focus and energy into his relationships, and all his dude friends just fell by the wayside. Zoe, don't listen to him, all right? I mean, he's we're eight years apart. Barely grew up together in the same house. This is ridiculous. Why is it weird that I had girlfriends? Nothing. We're just saying you never really had a best friend is all. Well, who's your best friend? I have two. Hank Mardukas has been my closest friend since our first year at IBM. Best man at our wedding. Yeah, he was. Talked to him two, three times a week on the phone for 30 years now. And then there's Robbie. (laughs) What's up? (laughs) (laughs) What a great supporting cast. I forgot J.K. Simmons was in this film. Is there anything that that man is in that's not great? Oh, man. He's Hollywood treasure. No kidding. Forever like the B player. Well, J. J. Jonah Jameson. Even back to Oz. Oz, yeah, he was great in that. I'm glad he kind of got his like moment in the spotlight with Whiplash, which we we talk about that. It seems like every other episode. Did you watch that spy show that he did where he plays the two agents? Yeah, that, that was good too. Yeah, that was. What was that called? I know. I'd Counterpart. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I thought, and he, they had him there as Commissioner Gordon in that Justice League film. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought he would have been a good Commissioner Gordon. Me too. Definitely looks the part. No, yeah, Jane Curtin, him. Uh, Andy yes. Samberg. Andy Samberg. You have Aziz Ansari and Nick Kroll there for a a, a hot minute. Uh, John Favreau, Jamie Priestley. Like, yeah, there's some great supporting. And I like that in these kind of like, you know, Judd Apatow didn't really have anything to do with this comedy, but it feels, feels like it feels like one of them. Sure does. And maybe that's because we have Paul Rudd and Jason Segel headlining this thing. Right. And it's kind of in that, that era, uh, 2009. So it's like that. Knocked up, super bad, forgetting Sarah Marshall era of of comedy. Mm-hmm. With another, you said it as soon as as soon as it happened. So, um, Peter proposes to Zoe here just on a, on a, on a night out, and then it becomes oh, we got to set up the wedding, and you know all those conversations. But as the conversation unfolds, as it did in that little sound clip, we find out that Peter doesn't really have like a best friend or really any guy friends. Mm-hmm. He's put all his focus and attention into his relationships and he's just been kind of one-on-one with that. And and, and you turned to me and was like, very high concept idea. It's, it kind of just sells itself right from, right from that. It's movies like this that inspire me because anytime I hear that there's no good ideas left, you find something like this. Here's the general idea. We've all experienced this. That's the stress around planning, or we few, most of us, I shouldn't say all, mm-hmm. have experienced the stress of planning a wedding from the wedding party to the size <clears throat> to the venue. And you take something that's as universal as that is, mm-hmm. and you find a piece of it, which is let's make a comedy about the stress of the wedding party. Mm-hmm. And you get to a brilliant idea. And what if the groom doesn't have a capable wedding party? Yeah. And the bride is like 15 girls deep. Yeah. So then who's not going to make it? And then you better find some friends so she doesn't have to play 
man, that's there's nothing new there. That's pretty much every wedding ever. Yeah. Who are you going to leave Surprise. out? Why did I get leave out? And it, they set it up too. Like I don't know if like this hit me this time. Her girlfriends mm-hmm. start bitching about who got called first after she gets proposed to. Exactly. Like they're setting it up from the beginning with also, well, why didn't I call first? You called your mother. Like all that is all part of it. There's that great scene too when he rolls on in with the with the root beer floats and they kind of oh, yeah. they kind of catch him listening about like he's not a weird guy he just doesn't have any like close male friends and they like catch him and it's just like really awkward uh, Paul Rudd in this film is Peter Clavin is he's such an awkward character because he's trying so hard to come across a certain way especially when he becomes friends with Sydney and whether it's trying to come up with a closing line or a nickname, like he, he fumbles it every time. And it's just it's just painful sometimes. Yeah, to, Jobin. Jobin, yeah. <laughs> Later's on the Minje. Mm-hmm. It's just but he's he's really good at that. Well, Paul Rudd's really good in that awkward space. Mm-hmm. There's even an element of that as Ant Man. Mm-hmm. And he just is able to get in there and express the awkwardness and be all about that and make Drama gold. Yeah. Um, earlier on in the film, we sort of see how nice and likable he is. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie, in a smaller degree, even though it's not the main concept, <clears throat> it's the subtext or side story, mm-hmm. does a little bit what The Hangover did. So The Hangover is a look at the inner machinations that happened on Bachelor Party. Yeah. This is a look briefly, but also there, and ends up being a conflicted thread throughout the film that they play out the inner machinations of women's night. Yeah. Cause they don't know he's there mm-hmm. and we get a snapshot into the hen house is a clucking, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it is bitch, 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 which is certainly a thing. Yeah. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. But because we don't get to see that often, Otherwise, it wouldn't happen because no one's going to say that if I'm in the room yeah. or you're in the room. It's in, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, it's revealed to him like, oh, my gosh, I really am a man alone. And it looks so pathetic that they're just trashing this guy's social network and he shows up with root beer floats and little <laughs> root and chocolate straws. Yeah. It's him to the letter. He's almost too nice a guy where... Um, well, that's going to be his internal issue that he has to overcome is how can he sack up enough to guy to, you know, enter into adulthood as a male. Yeah, it's good. So he turns to his brother, played by Andy Samberg, to kind of like, where do I even start? How do I even you just don't even don't go to dinner with these guys. Just go like just do like a light lunch or like uh, drinks after work. And he's trying to like kind of set him up with some people that would um come to the gym with him. And I love the montage of just like these failed, what he calls the mandates. And, you know, we get the one with the, the Elmo high talker. It takes him to an LA galaxy game. Almost gets in a fight. Yeah. Here we go. Galaxy. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Everything you got, everything you got. <laughs> yeah. Um, th- th- that's the other thing too, about like, we mentioned Joe Apatow cause I can't remember that guy. Joe, let, 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 Tugela, I, I'm, I'm mispronouncing his name. He's in Wet Hot American Summer with Paul Rudd, also in Superbad. So they're all kind of floating around the same type of comedy as kind of supporting characters. And that's why I kind of like of the comedies of this era. Yes. So we get that one. Then we get uh, with Thomas Lennon, who thinks he's going out on a date with this guy. And 
he just goes in for the kiss, mm. and it's just again, it's just painfully awkward. <laughs> yeah. And he meets a, this uh, this other guy online. He thinks this is this this young guy, and it's this eighty nine year old man who's eating at a Denny's by him, which is kind of sad. Like he just he, his wife's died. He has no friends, so he's trying to meet people. So he meets him here at this, but he's eighty nine. This, this isn't gonna fit his quota of finding a best man. Yeah, so it's just failed experiment after failed experiment on these mandates. Mm-hmm. I love the Thomas Lennon character. That's one of my favorite side supporting characters in yeah. any comedy. I love Reno Nine One One. Yeah, I have like five seasons of that on DVD. Mm-hmm. I love that show, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Dangle. And in this, <laughs> you know, they're having a nice enough evening, but there's a difference between like, hey, do we want to go to the baseball game? And then do you want to go get dinner? <clears throat> Paul Rudd's such an ingenue in this. He doesn't realize the difference. And it is inviting in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And it, although it's funny, it's not entirely surprising that they go south like they did because the pickings are just so slim. Mm-hmm. And I think before I get too far into that, the fencing scene is important. So he does have a mm-hmm. bit of a social network. Yeah. He's a terrific fencer, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever that means. <laughs> right. With that little side sachet step thing that he does. And <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. I love it. And he knows those guys at fencing class or the fencing club or mm-hmm. wherever that is. Yeah. But he's just dismissed. Yeah. And it's mostly because I think he's so caught up with spending time with his fiance or girlfriend that he's neglected all his friends. And you know, this is another thing that makes this whole so high concept. I know three or four guys that we were super, super tight when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And then once she entered their lives. Yeah. Man, it wasn't just like, can you get the kitchen passed occasionally? It's like, you're just straight on lockdown. Like, yeah. Essentially said goodbye. Not not badly. Mm-hmm. I don't see him anymore. Mm-hmm. There's like three guys. I won't name them now. Yeah. I'll be listening. Yeah. But you guys know who you are. Yeah. Where have you been? Mm-hmm. And so again, to that relatability. But he works well in that space. And I think sure that's does. why he's confident. Like he's, he, he's really good at like, you know, taking care of his, of his girl and in the, the nights that they have planned, it's something he enjoys. But now in this social hierarchy of how much importance we've put on the wedding and the wedding party, he's at a disadvantage. Yeah, He actually has to kind of compensate for this missing puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. And so his profession, again, like I like, you know, interesting professions. He's a, he's a realtor. But then we're talking Los Angeles real estate. So for like some like a garage Shantate would go for like one point five million dollars. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, so. I love that you're using Shantate to Shantate. Oh, that's your word. I love it. Yeah, we, we're gonna have to come up with like the rice smile like vernacular uh like like guidebook, like yep. with the words we use. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I, there's a few that we both like to just use all the time. Everybody knows what that means, though. Yeah. Yeah. Just run down shack. Yeah. Lean to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he's got a cool job, and he's trying to really sell off this Lou Ferrigno, like, mansion. Cool Hulk poster in that foyer. I yeah. think it said, like, El Incredible Hulk. Like, I would totally hang that in my house with Bill Bixby and him. Oh, yeah. That was sweet. So he's trying to sell this crazy house that's just like only someone super rich is going to be able to buy it and this is where he meets sydney who's just he's just there to meet divorcees and kind of get his fix eat some food and pick up some divorcees and it's just kind of in his breakdown of the scenario where they kind of just strike up just kind of like a quick immediate bond well it's body language you know like that guy needs to fart it's pretty clear but he doesn't know her well enough to do it in front of her so i assume they haven't slept together 
He does seem to be clenching. Yeah, and he doesn't want to fart. Watch, when he gets enough space, he's going to let one rip, I guarantee you. Oh, that's a good move. Hey, go check out the kitchen, honey. I'll meet you in there. Now watch. Making his move slowly, slowly but surely. Watch the leg. Wait for it. Wait for it. Fart. Boom. That's a fart, motherfucker. Oh, my God. That's a fucking fart. Oh, my God. Look at him crop dusting across your open house. It's a disgrace. He farted in my open house. <laughs> I'm only going to qualify this one time. Okay. And then I'm going to be unabashedly <clears throat> honest about it. All right. This movie, and this doesn't mean that in the real world, people are only limited in this. I think both can do equally well. But mm -hmm. this movie really does do an excellent job of playing on gender roles in this film. Mm -hmm. Think about Paul Rudd's character in this movie and what he's doing. He's essentially a housewife. He yeah. provides the food and he presents a clean place mm -hmm. for people to live in. Yeah. Versus Jason Segal's character in this, which is, I've come to eat and bone. Mm-hmm. So what you get is a guy who is entirely trapped in a very simple yet clear domestic space, which is woman, yeah. who's obviously not entirely sad there, but needs to be a little bit in the male space in order to make friends. Mm -hmm. And that's what draws him to Seagal is he's got this very male breakdown on why that guy's there, what he's about to do as he's eating the food and picking up women. Mm -hmm. You get a really cool juxtaposition of ultra feminine mm -hmm. Paul Rudd as male versus yeah. hyper-masculine Jason Seagal as yeah. male. And that's the attraction. Yeah, Man, I want to be more like that. And the truth is neither one of them in their initial states is right. Yeah, They both need a little bit of each other to come together. Yeah, that's And that's, Jesse, like, I would love to have a conversation with this screenwriter. Yeah. Because Hamburg, right? Yeah, and Levin. Levin. I want to know if that just worked out or if they set this up knowing full well, cause that is really smart. If they did that, mm -hmm. the guy trapped in feminine land and the other guy trapped in testosterone -ville. Well, isn't that what's great about comedies too, yes. is that you're a, you can, you obviously have a, a very likable character. Not that Sydney's not likable, but he's he's very flawed and he has a really interesting outlook on how he presents himself. He doesn't clean after his dog shit, which would drive me crazy, actually. Right. Um, you're right. They both need each other to fix kind of like what's hanging them up. And then they kind of kind of meet in the middle with this pretty unique friendship. They need each other to 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 grow up a bit. So let me explain this and then I'm going to ask you a question. I want to make sure everybody that's listening understands a concept that you and I talk about a lot. Yeah. The fish out of water idea is you take a character and you put them in an unfamiliar environment. And then as they try to adjust, you watch them struggle. And therein lies the conflict and the release and either the comedy or the terror. Is this movie a double fish out of water for you? Could be. <clears throat> a little bit, huh? I just realized that just right now. Yeah. Way too masculine, way too effeminate. Maybe we can come together and the key linchpin in this actually mm -hmm. is Rashida Jones. Yeah. We'll get to her in a little bit. Um, mm, that's interesting. Isn't it? She's the bridge between the two. Did of you them. just come up with that just now? Or you're pontificating um, on that on the couch? Well, a little bit of both. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's good. I like that analysis. So, yeah, they strike up this kind of bond and... He's like, oh, should, should I call? And then he, he calls him up again. One of these awkward messages that <laughs> that's just painful. 
to kind of strike up and let me see if I can do this again. But like now I've had those failures. Let's see if I can like not mess this up this time to go get the best fish tacos in the world, literally ranked. And we start to see the seeds planted of this relationship and there's something, something brewing there. How can you disagree with me on this? I mean, look, my, it's bad for the whole world. I don't, my lease is going to be up and I think that it's, I'm, are you talking I, about hybrid cars? Yes. Yes. I thought you were talking about hybrid animals. <laughs> hybrid animals? Yeah. <laughs> the fuck is a hybrid animal? Took Andre the Giant a barrel of beer to get drunk, sometimes too. Hello, pretty lady. I'm the mother of Walmart, you know? <laughs> Should we get a third order of fish tacos? Yeah, I've yeah. had that conversation with you forever. What about hybrid animals? <laughs> Anybody want a peanut? Or just about con, or just like nonsensical film garbage. Aquaman versus Namor, who wins, go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like We have that those things all the time. Whether it's superheroes or film, music. Russia, yes. Who's the better progressive band? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, where where do we start and stop with yeah. that? Well, that's Russia, obviously. By a mile. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, yeah. There's, But, like, not, like, in totality. Which version, I guess, there's 20 of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, keep going. Sorry, yeah. No, no, yeah. So, you see you see the seeds just kind of planting here. And it, what, what's nice is it, it's portrayed from the perspective of, like, a relationship. It's awkward. We're nervous. He's hesitant to kind of let his guard down, which is like what dating is. But it, this is a mandate, which is how I saw this film. Um, my my buddy Andrew had, I think he had gone to see this before and was like, man, I, Jesse needs to see this because of the rush thing and all that. So like, he took me on a mandate. I remember this very vividly. We went to Chili's for dinner. <laughs> we shared a plate of nachos. It was real nice. I think we even shared some cheesecake for, for dessert. And then we went to the movies. It was... We had a great time. Yeah, good night. <laughs> great time. It was a total mandate for like the perfect like mandate film, which is like what is this film's all about. Mm-hmm. And even so, so much he ended up getting a golden retriever a few years after that, and he named it Hank Mardukas, his father's best friend. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that tie to it. So no, it's just it's just very very relatable with what they're kind of riffing on and just kind of what dating is actually like. And it's awkward. It's weird. You don't know how comfortable you should be. And Sydney Fife, I love his last name. It's mm-hmm. so funny. Mm-hmm. Starts asking really personal questions, like right off the cuff. This is like the second time they've met each other, if that, if you yeah. want to call it that. Right. And it's Peter's able to kind of let his guard down a little bit and, you know, be honest and confess, which is Sydney's thing is that he's just a very blatantly honest person, mm-hmm. you know, no matter who it might offend or make awkward, which is in his toast <laughs> later on in the film. Right. But I think we, we I, I like the progression in this film of, we start with kind of this meeting at the open house and then this little dinner. And then, you know, a little by, he, he, he lets him come into his inner sanctum, which is this kind of like back garage man cave that he has. Awesome. Yeah. Minus the masturbation station. <laughs> Unless he's the only one that sits there. What's going on over there? <laughs> You've had it on cue. Oh, oh my God. This is where I jerk off. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> uh, condoms? I wear them when I masturbate. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I always get this reaction, but the fact is they decrease sensitivity so I can last longer. And there's no sticky mess to clean up. Huh. And when your divorcees come over, I, I put them away. I <laughs> Pete, this is the man cave. There's no women allowed in here. I got a jerk-off station, for God's sakes. <laughs> Jason Seagal is so good in the dick humor space, whether it's Sarah Marshall or in this, 
he is so comfortable I mean, and good with I that. I mean, he's not wrong in some of those aspects, but I'm not about to do all that. It sounds like a production. <laughs> no kidding. Right. The part I really like, too, is when they're on the Venice boardwalk there, and he's like, again, his, his little dog, which there's a whole play on that looking like the Egypt's president. Yeah. What's his name? Anwar. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Because he looks like him. That's the only reason he named him after that. And then he poops, and then some guy rolls and comes and steps in it and, like, flips out on him. So, like, he, like... <laughs> and like just totally like rolls up on him like a crazy man and this like kind of decently sized man just like kind of takes off he's like whoa sitting he's like you gotta easy you gotta let it out too peter and so they go under the boardwalk and he's like ah. <laughs> no really really you really take your tampon out and like now let me hear it ah so then just kind of like let that like kind of that inner rage out a little bit. It's okay to let loose once in a while, which is, I guess, Peter's whole or Sydney's whole message to Peter this entire film is, and just kind of, you can be serious, but you don't have to be serious all the time. Just kind of let it let it go once in a while. They're practicing a primal scream mm -hmm. in mono a mono hyper masculine. I'm bigger, stronger than you are as male versus male alpha. Mm -hmm kind of way again it goes back to the same sydney trope that's set up right off the bat ultra ultra male mm -hmm. uh and when paul rudd tries to do it the first time mm -hmm. he comes across like a little mouse eee. right yeah so he makes him practice it and then he kind of lets it go and at that point we start to see a reclaiming or a remasculation if you will of his lost male identity mm-hmm I know that's really cerebral for what's just a lighthearted comedy, but that's, I think, a space that this movie is very successful in. Mm -hmm. You can take it just as, it's really funny, and it's a nice hour and a half to two hours where it's just enjoyable. But if you want to dig into it, a lot like Vertigo in this way, if you want to dig into it, or The Birds, mm -hmm. and that's pretty high praise. Yeah, There's a lot there if you want to uncover it, and I think there is such an art to being able to pull that off successfully. Yet this movie is one of the ones that does it so well. That moment is really important. <clears throat> it's kind of forgettable and it's laughable in so far as, okay, he's screaming and okay, he finally did a good yell. But the concept of the primal scream is so base and so alpha. Yeah. I love that. That's just such a smart way to go about it. And it's over this guy's dog taking a dump on the boardwalk and them having to roll up on another male to claim dominance. Think about all that. Mm -hmm. Like, There's a lot working in this scene right here. Mm -hmm. Again, I got to get Hamburg for us somehow. But there's... Maybe there's, Mark knows him. Yeah, there's a... But there's a hierarchy to it, too, because when it happens again, yeah, right. and he rolls up on this like Venice Beach bodybuilder, he's like, run, Peter, run! Right. <laughs> yeah, there's like there's limits to it. And Indeed. Yeah. No, it's, I wonder what the legacy of these comedies from this era is going to be. Because I don't know if they're necessarily written off as just like raunch humor or, or what you want to call it. But like whether it's The Hangover or this one or Superbad, Knocked Up, Sarah Marshall. Won't mention role models to you know open up any wounds for you. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah. those are really smart comedies. With oh, yeah, high concept ideas, and I think they play well with character motivations. And I think in all those films, characters start at one thing in all of those and end up as something else. And you, you call that a character arc, and boy, that's a success in my book. Was this 07? 
Nine. This is the same year as The Hangover. Okay, so ten years later, mm-hmm. I think it still plays. Yeah. I think the uninformed and snobby might write it off as raunch comedy. Mm-hmm. It's just such a weak synopsis, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And to say, well, it's raunchy, so it didn't hold up is not for me. I mean, this is not only raunch, it's also bromance. Yeah. And that was a pretty important tr- comedy trope from way back. Like you mentioned, uh, Abbott and Costello, Laurel Lenardi, we can, even the Three Stooges, the Marx Brothers, all that is bromance mm-hmm. way back. So we're we're tapping into something that's, generations old yeah so i think for those that might say well that was in that late 90 or that late 2000s prior to the teens blah 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 whatever mm-hmm. i think those people are, are are missing a moment in comedy that's really important yeah at well, least for you and i well, like, I, I totally I, agree all I, those movies you just mentioned i, I love, love every I one love of them. them too and i love role models i know people are like what happened we'll tell that story someday <laughs> what happened <laughs> why doesn't matt like that it, it's i like that movie it's just I, I had a tie with the producer in that film and that's the guys that did the girl next door and there were some issues well, but i don't want to get into it because um but god bless paul rudd god bless matt siegel god bless the girl next door and matt god bless siegel. the producer oh that you meant Jason Siegel? No. Okay. No, Matt Siegel <laughs> okay. was the guy that produced that. Gotcha. Okay. That was um that show on Channel Harper's on, Island. Oh, oh, that was Harper's I, Island I love too. That show so much. We were so close, oh, Jesse. Jesus. Told me we were close. Damn it. Whatever. Damn. Anyway, that's yeah. We have to. We could do a whole podcast story, on uh, that. Story for another day. But yeah, again, back to what you said. Just writing it off as raunch comedy is a mistake. Yeah. If you do it, so be it. But you're wrong. I mean, d- don't wrong. get me wrong. There's there's a few from this era that I'm like, yeah, I'm not like a huge fan of. Like, I'm not like the Will Ferrell comedy guy. Like Step Brothers, Talladega Nights. Yeah, that's like that stuff's not for me. But like th- like these guys, like if it's if if it's like Seth Rogen, Paul Rudd, Jason Segel, Jonah Hill, man, like sign me up. Like I, I love it. All of those hinged on the same concept, though, Jesse, and it's rite of passage life events for people, and they found a way to get story out of them, whether it's bachelor party or wedding party or graduation from high school. Like, they all are really important and well-crafted because we've been through it. And, you know, I'm just thinking about this now. You know who was the linchpin for all of what I just mentioned was Judd Apatow. That's Freaks and Geeks. It's undeclared. It's that era of actors that he found. It's no different than like Ivan Reitman with like Bill Murray and Harold Ramis in the eighties or Mel Brooks finding, you know, all these, all these great actors and, you know, bringing the best out of them. Look, man, freaks and geeks is the unbreakable mm-hmm. of television. It really is. 10 years too early mm-hmm. to that yeah. show and to Judd Apatow. There you go. If you've never seen it, it's an easy watch. There's only 18 episodes, mm-hmm. but pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, oh wait, let's get to the the crux of the film here. Maybe my favorite part, which is, you know, we talk music a lot. You know, uh, we've been picking like our kind of like, you know, ten most influential, to ten most influential albums and stuff. So when I found out that this film had this like tie to Rush, which you know, dark horse of like rock and roll, took him. How many years to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, fuck Jan Winter. He just doesn't like Anthem Rock, so uh, fuck him on that. Yeah. ABBA was in, and these guys weren't. Yeah, that's, Give me a break. That's a sin. But they have, like, 23 albums. They're, like, they have like the most consecutive, like, gold record streak of, like, any band next to, like, Kiss. Yep. And they're a great live band. They're a great uh, conceptual band. Their music is not for everybody, and it's so uh, so well in this thing where he's like talking to her about slapping the bass and as we jam a little bit you play an instrument yeah 
can't believe I've never told you. I play bass. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I slap the bass big time. What do you... What is that? You sound like a leprechaun. No, what that's that? a reggae guy. Um, I just did reggae. It doesn't sound... It doesn't sound reggae? No. Slap the bass. No. Uh, how does it... It's like big time. Big time. Big time. Big time. Slip the bass. Big time. Mm. Slap it the bass. That sounded like Borat. Yeah. Slap the bass. Big time. That's better. Sid and I have gotten pretty good at a couple of Rush songs. What do you mean, like fast-paced rock? No, like Rush. Like the band Rush. I don't know them. The Holy Triumvirate. The... Wait, you don't know Rush? No. You tell, you don't know Rush, the no. band? No, mm-mm. Exit the Warrior, today's Tom Soy. No! <laughs> Soy. All right, I'm going to hit you up. Self-deprecation is so important in comedy, and the fact that he's talking to Rashida Jones, yeah. the daughter of Quincy Jones, mm-hmm. who for sure knows who Rush is. Definitely. And she goes, yeah, I've never heard of them. But is so clever if you want to let it be. That is just, uh, I, and that's not the same genre of music at all. Yeah. But for, you sh- certainly know that the daughter of Quincy Jones would know who, I guarantee you there's some tie between Rush and Quincy Jones in their discography somewhere. Yeah. It's so smart to do that with her. And the other thing too. A tie to Quincy Jones and Rush, that. I'm sure there is somewhere. That'd be something. I'm sure there is. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I'm sure like, there, there has weird. to be. That's weird. <laughs> You you wouldn't put it past Rush though, would you? Yeah. As progressive and avant garde and intelligent, that probably are. sound pretty cool actually. Whether it's just some no, no, a conversation, just, like I don't know if it's just, ever been credited. Yeah, that's funny. I'm down. Yeah, I'm down too. Mm-hmm. I love that, mm-hmm. and I love that Rush is this really important linchpin because going back to what we said in the open house earlier mm-hmm. and domestic Paul Rudd and hypermasculine uh, Jason Segal. <clears throat> We have this conversation in my house and your house. Mm-hmm. I don't love Rush as much as you, but they're top 25 for me. Like, mm-hmm. that's a, an amazing band. Yeah. My wife could give two tears in an ocean about them. <laughs> I mean, she might humor me with a couple songs here and there, but three or four songs in, and she's like, change it. No, there's a great, there's, so there's a documentary about Rush called Beyond the Lighted Stage, and it's about their whole life. It's fantastic. And uh, Taylor Hawkins, the drummer of Foo Fighters. Yep. Um, has a segment on there. He's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, Rush ain't for everybody. He's like, it's like I can play like the the A cuts for my wife, and she gets into it, but I'm not gonna roll up on her with Caress of Steel, like X X Y Y or whatever that Y Y Z Y Y Z. Yeah, no way. Twenty one twelve. Yeah, right. Yeah. And maybe you can get through like Roll the Bones and Limelight and Tom Sawyer, maybe, and then that might be about it. No, yeah, it's and it's so it's it's so. It's funny what you, what you just said with the ties to Quincy Jones and everything, but it's like this is such a real thing. Like it's she doesn't get it, and then especially when they take her to the concert and like the Rush concerts. You you've been to been seen Rush, yeah. I've seen them a few times too. Yeah, it's just like yeah, just like jam into these ridiculous lyrics and and air drumming and air basing, and she's like. This is weird. Like, I don't fit into this world that you've kind of created with Sydney. I could, like, if I if I took my wife to a Rush concert, yeah. I think she'd probably rather set herself on fire. <laughs> and I, I probably wouldn't be singing into your bass and licking your air penis and all that other stuff that they're doing, right? <laughs> I probably wouldn't be doing that. But I'd be into it. Yeah. And I, she'd be in Texas. Yeah. Miles away. Can you think of anything? No, that's... I can't either. Yeah. Nothing that is that diverse between the two genders is that. And again, did they know that going in or did they just catch lightning in a bottle? No idea. I want to know. I do too. 
let's talk about so then we have this engagement party and then sydney and sydney's kind of hits it off with her friend and then that sets up this whole other disaster but he gives like this toast because he's let um peter's let him know that his wife doesn't do everything in the bedroom and he might like certain things of an oral variety and just like (laughs) Sydney just calls him calls it out in the most subtle of ways, but like everyone knows what he's talking about. You don't need to winky winky, Sydney. We all get it. I love John Favreau's reaction. He's a great character in this. He's just so sour the whole time. Yeah. Like it's like if he's happy at, in anything. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, everyone knows, and like, and like, but it gets them talking uh, about it too. There's, there's a reason in this and that. I would, I would enjoy them, and it gets them talking to kind of improve that part of their relationship. So, as horrible and as awkward it was for everyone to sit and listen to that, it actually helps to improve an aspect of their, of their relationship, which is, which is nice. Sydney brings a nice uh, portion to that, and on the flip side of it, we get a, a look into. Uh, Sydney's life and he has this other collective of friends but they're all married they have kids they want to watch Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium <laughs> for the 15th time <laughs> and they want to go to Legoland and they're living a very domesticated life whereas Sydney's very bachelor-esque he's got a jerk-off station and he's hooking up with cougars and divorcees here in Venice Beach so he has a very interesting life and he's kind of missing out on on a little bit. He's a bit of a loner too, as we get a look into his life. I love that you brought up the John Favreau and Jamie Presley relationship. I love that angry couple relationship that's in like whether it's Zach and Mary and it's Craig T. Robinson and Tisha Campbell, mm-hmm. or if it's uh, Catherine Hahn and whoever that guy is in um, something in whatever happened, like what happens in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Is it is that Catherine Hahn? Yeah. Right, they just hate each other, mm-hmm. but then they make it up in the bed, and they're both okay in that space. And Jamie Presley <clears throat> is so good; like mm-hmm. you're dressing up like a cheerleader. Fine, go. And then she flips him the double birds, <laughs> like that is just so funny. Yeah, and I don't think he smiles once in the film, but he's really, really dour. Yeah, but it's funny. Yeah, and he gets puked on all the time. Twice, twice. <laughs> projectile. Yeah. You ever projectile before? No, I did at a Shoney's in Branson, Missouri. In sh- oh my god, yeah. I can't eat that like buffet greasy breakfast food like at like six in the morning. We were Did you there. make it to the bathroom? No, it was in the lobby. Oh, Jesse. <laughs> like you shot it at, did it, oh no. Did it hit somebody? It didn't hit anybody, but it went far. Oh no. <laughs> Shoney's of all places. Were you sick the whole bus ride too? Well, that had to be in high school. Yeah, it was. It was on a band trip. Oh my God. Um, no, we went to amusement park afterwards and I was fine, but like, it's just, I can't, I can't eat like that early, especially that time. You know that, you know, Shoney's like. What did Sanks do about that? Uh, I don't know. He, oh, oh. No, he didn't see. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah. They, they, they came to get me some assistance, but it was already in the lobby. It's like, <laughs> pretty gross. Cautious assistance. It was really I'm sure. gross. <laughs> you ate too many biscuits and gravy and blew up. Oh no. Okay, so now we're in story time real quick. But, like, like those kids, like, whenever <laughs> yeah. we went on those, they, they acted like they had never eaten in their lives. Yeah. So it was like watching, like, Vikings eat. And it was just like... <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm looking around, I'm like, this is disgusting. And, oh, like, and, yeah, that made me sick. Yeah. It was the only time I'd ever been to a Shoney's. You would have been great at the vomitorium in <laughs> ancient antiquity. I, I, I would have been. Yeah, I would have fit right in. You sure would have. Yeah. <laughs> so 
That's no. Yeah. Nothing at that point told you maybe I should pump the brakes for a minute. No, and, <laughs> no, I had to just get up. No, no. I mean like when you were consuming the food, you didn't think well, maybe I, I was getting pretty sweaty then there. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know what that's like. Yeah. It's just, it just, it just hits you. It was weird. Maybe I had been sick before, but man, that, it, that it was, it was gross. All right. Well, I'll match you one then. Okay. So we're at Disneyland. Okay. And we have our little dinner and I decide I'm going <laughs> to just cause I want, I was so hungry. I had a salad with some chicken mm-hmm. and it was during a Halloween party night. So for those that don't know, basically they let you trick or treat the park and people go in costume and it's quite the event. Oogie boogie. Oogie boogie's Halloween bash. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we're about an hour into it and I start feeling a little bit on Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and I'm with my family. I said, I better sit down for a few minutes. So they go and do whatever they're going to do and trick or treat a little bit. And I literally sat there for 45 minutes and I'm sweat like cold sweat. And by the time we left the park, it was, and this is not a joke from one trash can to the next walking back to the hotel. Oh my God. I, I mean like, like four or five times that night. So Ugh. it was food poisoning. It wasn't from the salad it, from the salad. Cause it had been out too long. I'm a little leery on salads unless like I'm preparing them. Never again. Yeah. Will I eat a salad out there <laughs> or barely? Why? I, and to be honest, why the hell are you eating salad anyway? You know what I mean? That's yeah. just so dumb. Oh, but that sounds awful. It was rough. Ugh. Yeah. I think the number we stopped counting up was like eight that night. Ugh. It's just to the point where there was nothing left. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm sure Riot Nation loves to hear the stories of us getting no, we've, we've wildly told, sick. This but. cask has been about story time. We told about worst hangovers, summer summer jobs, <laughs> yeah, that's right. and now um, yeah, vomit stories. Seems mm. appropriate. Boy. I trade my Shonies for I trade your Shonies <laughs> for my Disneyland that night. That sounded like a one-off at least. What happened to Shonies? They just disappeared yeah. off the face of the earth. I, I don't know. I, get, I, I can't do those buffets. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, yeah, great relationship between the two of them, and it plays really well. So then they 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 go golfing the next day, which this sounds like an absolute nightmare. You know, couples golfing. I'll have to ask my buddies if they've ever kind of like gone golfing because I bet the answer is no. It's just that, like that, and I don't know why they would be interested in it either. But well, Peter tries to tell him it's not a good idea. Yeah, and he won't listen. Man, and he gets a bruise on his shin. I can't imagine how much that would have hurt a golf ball to the shin. This oh. is my nightmare. <laughs> he called it is is the thing. I used to work at a country club. Okay. And I clocked one of my coworkers. One of the benefits working in the country club was you got like $5 golf with the card. It was a nice course too. Mm. And um, I clocked one of my buddies with a golf ball in his ribs. And he shouldn't have been there. Like I told him, get out of the way. And yeah. he like, oh, no. I said, stay behind me. No, you won't hit me. And sure enough, man, and not off a bounce, I mean straight drilled him. And that welt on him had to have been three weeks. Oh, my gosh. Alan, wherever you are, man, I am so sorry. And I'd like to say you took it like a champ, but you didn't. <laughs> um, I can understand why. It was the, the bruise. The bruise that's on his leg yeah. is about the bruise that he had. On his right rib oh cage. Oh, my gosh. That poor guy to Alan. Hey, oh, yeah, you yeah, get yeah. one there, buddy. Yeah. So this is where we kind of see, you know, kind of the things kind of, you know, falling off the rail because they're going to go tuxedo shopping. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to ask friends, especially, you know, they're friends, but they still just kind of, they kind of don't know each other still as well. And, you know, he asks him for $8,000, which pretty decent amount to be asking a friend for an investment, which is already sounding kind of risky. 
which is what Sydney's job is. We don't really know too much about his job. He's an investor, I guess. And Peter willingly uh, agrees to, agrees to this. He's like, he's like, I know you're good for it, and and all this. They call him shekels. Yeah, but it's it's that moment when they're shopping tuxedos. This is this is just great. I want to take a photo. Now. Give me an action pose. Like what? What do you mean? Oh, you're wearing a tuxedo. What do you think I mean? <laughs> when have you ever seen anyone in a tuxedo do that move? Besides Runaway Bride, the SPs. <laughs> You're wearing a tuxedo. Think James Bond, all right? Give me, give me some James Bond. No, it just looks like you're pointing at me. You look ridiculous, man. Well, what am I supposed? How can I? I can't look. Think Timothy Dalton. Oh, T. Dalt. <laughs> oh, hey, that's pretty good. Tell you what, give me your best Bond impression. Why don't you get off your board and get on? Get out of your, my dreams and into my car. Are you, are you looking for your pot of gold? Why does everything I do sound like a leprechaun? You tell me. Oh, he speaks like, a, like the coolest man on earth. The name is Bond. There you go. Oh, yeah. The name is James Bond. James Bond. <laughs> I'll have a margarita. <laughs> well, hey there, Miss Money Pussy. Wanna jump on my jet pack? <laughs> That almost sounds improvised. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it probably is. I'd love to look at these scripts and just kind of see, like, how much is the writer and how much is just, like, you know, you're working with Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel, Like, give them some room to play with in, in the space that they work well in. You almost have to. Gosh, I would or, hope or, if you sign those two guys, you'd give them enough space in the camera to let them be them. Or if I was a director, I'd be like, let's do it once in the script and then... Go. Just just do do something. Maybe the script was written that way. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I wonder sometimes, especially in, in comedy. I guarantee you that slap in the bass bit is not in the script. Yeah. That's all off the cuff. All him. Even if it's, you know, <clears throat> Peter does his worst impersonation of a bass guitarist, go. Mm-hmm. Like, even if that's in the script, that's still ad-libbed. Yeah. Um, into Paul Rudd, they picked the right guy for it. Mm-hmm. I think I think they 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 do that pretty well, and we, we talked a little bit in the Hangover too with uh, Zach Galifianakis, and it almost sounded like he was flubbing some of his lines, and like Phillips said, like just went with it to kind of see what he came up with. Yeah, no, it's it's it, you can't do that in a lot of other genres. You know what I mean? It's not like you're rolling up in like phantom thread with daniel day lewis and you're just like improvising your film. You know what I mean? Like that's a very follow the script type of film. Occasionally, I think you find actors in a space where they're able to just be so in tune with the character that they can just let it flow. Um, Inglorious, no, uh, yeah, Inglorious, no, Django Mm -hmm. with Leonardo DiCaprio and the blood scene where he's bleeding, right? That was all ad-lib. That's a great moment. So, I mean, there's there's stories of it happening here and there. And as a director, I wonder if it's maybe just experience, how you know that you shouldn't probably say cut because then you lose pure Mm -hmm. in the moment character organic gold versus this has veered so far off 
Because if you're with someone who's not talented, then the character does things that are not set up by all of the actions no, that I, they've done in the whole script. And man, that's got to be a very fine line to walk. I think it takes a great director to be able to wrangle that all in. You know much about this Hamburg guy? Mm-mm. I, I, we should have done, I should have done some well, research Why don't you look him up him. real quick and I'll set up the next kind of little bit here. Go for it. Because, you know, as you start making a friend, you start to share more things. And, and Sydney asks Peter a very interesting question about like, well, why are you marrying Zoe? Why was she the one instead of the other ones being the one? Is she just the next one? I think is how he says it, which is an interesting question. But, you know, as some of those things go, you don't roll up on your soon to be wife with that type of question, because that's just going to open up a huge can of worms. And that's exactly what Peter Clavin does. Why do you think we're getting married? <laughs> what are you talking about? No, Sydney asked me that question, and I didn't. I, well, why Zoe? And I, I didn't know how to answer it. Are you kidding? You're, you're kidding, right? Yes. Two weeks before our wedding, and you don't know why you're marrying me? Just forget it. It was a stupid question. I don't know what I was thinking. Just forget. Take it back. Ten seconds before I asked it, and let's live in that time. <laughs> Thing is, Peter, I, I get why you would wonder that. I do. But I wish you would have answered the question before you proposed to me. That's the thing. Before, I didn't even think about it. That came out bad, too. I didn't. I'm so <laughs> He's just in trouble, man. I don't know what I'm saying. Let me just make this a little simpler for you. I'm going to go stay with Denise and Barry, and you and your bud Sydney can hang out and beat up Lou Ferrigno and go to Rush concerts and ride a tandem bicycle down the Venice boardwalk for all I care. We never rode bicycles. <laughs> Everything else is true, but the bicycles part isn't. That's pretty funny. I always love that line. Uh, what do you got? Much more prolific as a writer than a director. Okay. So prior to this, his other kind of important directing gig was Along Came Polly. But wrote Meet the Parents, Zoolander. I liked some of those, yeah. A lot of Ben Stiller stuff. Uh, Meet maybe, the Fockers, maybe Along Came Polly. Maybe they're buddies. Yeah. Little Fockers. Uh, and then Why Him? Directed Why Him? Which one's that? That's that James Franco film with uh, Cranston. I didn't see that one. Yeah, me either. Um, and then most recently with Walter Scroggins on the uniform Unicorn as writer and director. Hmm. Again, CBS 7 o'clock <clears throat> network comedy head scratcher. But it does, again, I haven't seen a single episode and it might be a fine show. Yeah. It does seem to kind of fit in this space. Like it has the feel from the little bit I've seen that, this sort of domestic awkwardness that he seems to be able to capitalize. Yeah. Much more prolific writing career than directorial career. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for a movie that I think we've spent an hour talking about in a bunch of different levels, it's yeah. a little surprising to me that he hasn't found a little more solid footing as a director. Sure. Hmm. Who knows though? But you know what? Maybe that speaks to the advantage of being writer and director. Yeah. You know the story so well that you don't have to worry about someone taking it outside of what's on the page as the writer mm -hmm. because you know where it's going and then you have enough faith in who you've cast and maybe he wrote it for them. And if that's the case, yeah. it makes perfect sense. If not, then I'm wrong and that wouldn't be the first time. Mm -hmm. Man, I want to find this guy. We got to get him. Yeah. Give him a, give him a toxi. Mm -hmm. He's to do a Peter Clavin thing there. Hey, Jobin, it's uh, Rye Smile. Want to be on our show? So she walks out on him to like kind of just gather his thoughts. And I like, I always like this scene between Sydney and Peter when he says, because when he finds out about the billboards, 
he'd use this $8,000 investment to put all these billboards with his face, you know, with good intentions. And it's not what Peter wanted. It's like, you need to take those down, man. And like, he's like, he's like, you got me in ridiculous things. He's like, I don't, I don't want that. And he's like, he's like, I, he's like, you're, you're afraid because all your friends have moved on and have kids and this and that. And I think you're threatened by what I have and what I found. And you just want to consume all my time. And, and he's not wrong in some of that regard. Right. And in Sydney's defense, he's not wrong in his, in what he tells, uh, you know, Peter about, you know, you can't tell those things that like, that's between us. So they find themselves at a crossroad, but they're both pointing things out at each other, which is what I like about the two of them. Yeah. Again, what we talked about kind of finding a way to meet in the middle, which is what we're going to get here right. in the next few minutes. So it's finally time for this wedding in uh, Santa Barbara. Jesus, I can't imagine what this wedding would have cost. <laughs> probably 22 of the $40 million budget of this film. But yeah, probably. Yeah, we're trying to wonder why it was so much money was spent on this on this movie. Yeah. But uh, we kind of see, uh, you know, Peter kind of there with the groomsmen he's been able to to wrangle, so to speak. He's he's, right. he's been able to sell the Fregno estate via these billboards, so there was some advantage there. Well, so Sydney's right. Yeah. Sydney, who has been, I think, dismissed as a an economic factor mm-hmm. or professional kind of looks like just Gen X living in mom's basement man cave kind of thing. Yeah. Seems to be wildly successful. And he, that billboard <clears throat> marketing technique that he creates for Peter is just basically built on humor mm-hmm. and very guy humor. Yeah. It works. And after they have their breakup, Ooh, yeah. Peter comes back to work and he's just bombarded with voicemails of people that are looking to do business with him. Mm-hmm. Well, you know who did that for him? Sydney, who was going to be the best man in his wedding. And so like, this is story beat to the letter screenplay, right? This is the second act reversal. Yeah. You're two thirds of the way through the film and somehow things are worse than they were when it began. And especially in like a breakup film. Now we're setting up the eventual, like it's, we never want to see this scene, but this is like the running through the airport to like stop someone from getting on a flight. But it's like this, it's like, I got to get to that wedding in time. Because I got to be there. This, you know what? We don't want to see that. You're right. But the whole movie's been that. Yeah. And that's again back to this Hamburg guy, Josh Hamburg, John Hamburg. Yeah. I'm sorry for the crucifying this guy's first name if he's out there listening. Right. <laughs> um. The whole concept of Peter's relationship with Sydney is built kind of on the dating minus sex because they don't need to worry about that with each other because they're not into each other. They do all of these great things in a way that's relatable with each other that Rashida Jones's character doesn't quite understand. Mm -hmm. He's done a such a masterful job of creating two guys in literally, and I mean this a bromance that when they break up, you're like, no, no, guys, wait, stop. Just mm. pump the brakes. It's mm. it's not that big a deal. It's just your picture, Peter. Yeah. Sydney, you shouldn't have asked him for $8,000, but this isn't irrecoverable. We can get back. Like, I'm pulling for this couple to get back together. And <laughs> that's just such good writing. Yeah. Because they are a couple. Yeah. Right? hmm As much as we talk about bromance, mm-hmm. is this the quintessential bromance of... 2000 and beyond. 
mean, right off the cuff. Well, calling if we're calling it a bromance, bromance, so you know, most definitely. I think I mean, Wedding the, Crashers is in there a little bit too. But, but I think that's how this film was marketed too. Anyway, yeah, I took you off the track there. Sorry, you're at the wedding. Yeah, no, that's the, the twenty-three million dollar wedding. <laughs> Santa Barbara. Yeah. So they show up, or Sydney shows up, and the the groomsman now it's the old man. Uh, it's Thomas Lennon, uh, the Mr. Elmo, Andy Samberg, J.K. Simmons, and Lou Ferrigno. The ragtag group of groomsmen, which we're going to talk about that here coming up in our nightcap. And then here comes Sydney at the last minute, and you know Peter's more than ecstatic. He was like, he's like, I'm, I'm glad you're here. He doesn't say that, but you can like see it in his face. And then he's the, the exchange they have. I love you, man. I love you, dude. I love you, bro. I love you, bros of Goebbels. <laughs> like, I love you, Tico, bro. And this is kind of back and forth, and they, they both need each other. Sydney doesn't have the type of friends that Peter are. Yeah. So domesticated. And Peter will be there eventually, but maybe Sydney will have caught up by then. And, you know, and Peter needs him too because he doesn't have a best man without him. So it, it all ties together really nicely here at the end of the film. I, I, I like the ending. Sooner or later, it just works out whether it's your best friend or whether it's like a bromance mm-hmm. or she romance or whether it's the person that you lock down as sort of the one that's going to be the one for that time. God forbid that it ends. Look, it's I, just I, so I, nice. I have different bromances with all my friends. Like Me too. I have three of them. Not, well, I have four bromances in my life. Like like with like with Andrew, who took me on this mandate. Like, like he's like my like my Denver Bronco bromance. We could bro about football. With Blake, it's something different. With Nate, it's something different. With you, like we have a podcast, we write together. Like that's a different type of bromance. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's just interesting how how that all finds and how how what you are able to relate with your friends in that way. I couldn't have said it any better, Jesse. Yeah, there are, you just named I think four, mm-hmm. and there are four that I would put too. Yeah, and they each have a space that they exist in, mm-hmm. but it's the same general makeup it's my workout mm-hmm. it's my entertainment which yeah. would be you yeah it's my sports mm-hmm. and it's my just need a hang to bitch kind of person sure those are literally the four categories mm-hmm. to john jesse kenny and jimmy mm-hmm. there you go i mean I don't know. It just goes back to the relatability of it. Definitely. They wrote well, that, from a place of familiarity. And hasn't all three of these comedies kind of been that? Been able to kind of relate to it to some extent? Right. Which was like that horrible hangover or going through the hells of high school or even just this, just that having friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. All right. I have some questions for you, Matt, as okay. I do every week. What's your favorite tasting note of I Love You, Man? I think it's a concert with Rush and it gets into the character we haven't spent really enough time talking about. And that's the Rashida Jones character. Mm-hmm. She's trying real hard. Yeah. And I'll give her credit for that. Cause she's willing to go to these lengths to fit into this world that he has now forged with Sydney. And she's not exactly totally comfortable there. Yeah. She doesn't even know who rush is. She's doing her best to rock out. And then they go off on that tangent that just kind of leaves her out there. And as much as she thinks it's weird, because it is, watching them is kind of weird, but we've all been in that space where with this guy, I can be as weird as I need to be and nobody is going to judge me. And that that's just that's just the relationship. That's why you're friends with them. Yeah, It's that because there's a lot of things working there. 
as much as she advocated for him finding a friend and creating a romance or bromance and like a network of friends like she has, it's almost coming back to bite her in the ass. Mm -hmm. And she does respond negatively to it, but she doesn't become so bitchy about it that she just writes it off and we get, oh my God, they're broken up and they're never going to get back together, which would take this movie to a level that I don't want to see. Well, she's the one that puts it back together. Because you just took the words out of my mouth, exactly. Yeah. She's the one that invites Sydney to the wedding. But yeah. that that scene, and mm-hmm. then to rush. Willing to participate. Willing to participate. Because if this movie yeah. is Queen, it doesn't work the same way. Yeah. Or I'm just making R.E.M. Yeah. Or Journey. Mm-hmm. It can only be Rush. It's so awesome. Maybe it, it couldn't even be the stone. Well, it's it, got to be Rush. Rush in concert, like they have like the rotisserie chickens on the stage. Like it's just such right. an aesthetic such to, a, the, right. to the thing. Foo Fighters would be pretty cool though. Yeah. It would be cool. Yeah. It's just because we like them a lot. A lot. Yeah. Uh, mine is the tuxedo scene. When when Jay, when Sydney says, think Timothy Dalton, he's like, oh, T. Dalt. And when Peter does like this with the... Mm-hmm. He looks just like him. Just like him. It's kind of freaky. Like, it's like, I'm not, I'm a fan of referential humor, mm-hmm. especially when I get it, like when I know the reference. And I got that instantly. Like, I know Timothy Dalton, Paul Rudd kind of looks like him in, in, in a similar way in that tuxedo. I love it. But I like that back and forth. I'd like a margarita. Do you Lunch. like Dennis Miller? If you like referential humor, he's got to be your guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I like Family Guy. Family Guy is nothing but referential humor. And right. Seth MacFarlane is so good at, at it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's my favorite scene of the you, thing. Okay, good. What's the... Oh, my God. I need to take a shot moment of this film. Mine's very clear for me. Go first. It's that toast. It's a nightmare. If that happened to me, I'd be mortified that like my family found out about oral sex that I'm receiving. <laughs> <laughs> or not <laughs> or not receiving and then complaining about it yeah, yeah. oh gosh like it's but the, the scene it's that awkward type of humor but it plays is so well because it it leads to actual repairing of, of things for the two of them mm-hmm. but man oh like i i would need to go to that little benihana sake bar and go do a sh- sake shot after that like for real yeah yeah um for me it might be the thomas Lennon kissing <laughs> bit <laughs> I got to give both those guys credit because they are all in. Mm -hmm. There was a skit that they used to do on Saturday Night Live, which was this family that would greet each other with these huge kisses, like brother kissing dad. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you ever see those? Mm -hmm. And it was funny at first, and then it got to be so repugnant that you couldn't barely stand it. Sure. I mean, we're talking full-on tongue buried. Yes. Like the kids at my school outside third period during springtime kind of kissing. Like we were talking about like lick her tonsils. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, So it doesn't go that far, but, (laughs) and then Thomas Lennon, like after he finishes this massive kiss, goes in for one more, (laughs) one more peck to say goodbye. That's great. It's hard to watch. And I love how he comes back later and he's like, it was the taste of betrayal, Peter. It was the taste (laughs) of betrayal. Peter, you whore. And Rashida Jones, like, it's taste of ashtray. Oh, that, yeah, that's you know, that's that's pretty good. So that that's it for me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Matt, who's the master distiller on I Love You, Man? <sighs> mm, I'm going to, I don't want to take step on your toes. I think there's two ones mm-hmm. here, so hopefully I don't take. I'm going to say Hamburg. 
I'm going to give him enough credit as a writer sure. to know what the finished product was going to be when he started out and being able to deliver it subtly. If you wanted, you could dig it out. If not, it didn't matter and didn't change the film. I've talked about that before. That's such an art. Mm-hmm. And somebody who is at best a B-list writer on my best day. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even start this guy. Mm-hmm. It's so well-crafted, Jesse. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we spend hours literally weeks, yeah. months mm-hmm. developing subtext and the rule of three and all of, and to be able to navigate that in a way that is so organic and natural. Well, there was a very clear rule of three in this film and it was Peter talking like a leprechaun. Oh, you're right. He's called out on it like three times. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't even snap on that. Yep. How many billboards are there? Three? He's three, maybe four. Yeah. Okay. So well, anyway. we, we definitely get a lot. But I know what you're talking about. So I'm going to give it to him. It could be Paul Rudd. It could be Jason Segal. I think we, if anybody listened to the shot this week, you saw that he's on my Mount Rushmore. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give it to Hamburg. Cool. Is that who you're going to take? I'm actually going to go with the two you just mentioned. Okay. Sorry. I think the two actors just play so well together, Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. And uh, when you give them a good script to work with from Hamburg, and then I think enough creative room to improvise a little bit uh, they play off each other well yeah and uh paul rudd was he played um nat clot no i want to say clot too that's not right he played the surf instructor in forgetting sarah marshall um Pukunu or something Kukunu. <laughs> punu what was his name something like that so they had worked together before, and of course, you know, and then knocked up. So this is almost just kind of seems natural that they'd kind of be in something together. And I think this this idea and this a story just fits them so well. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with those two. That's a good choice. Yeah, great cast though. Like just and this is supporting characters being able to support your 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 leads with equally great comedic talent, whether it's J.K. Simmons or Jane Curtin or Andy Samberg, like they all hold their own. Which is nice, mm-hmm. and John Favreau, <laughs> and John Favreau. Yeah, we've been hard on John Favreau in the past because of Iron Man three, but that's a conversation for another day. But like, he's good in this little space here. You know what film I like him in? Chef. No, uh, the Replacements. Keanu Reeves, the football movie. Oh my gosh, he's in he, that. He plays one of the football players, and he's honey funny in that. I did not. You're right. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt, how are you going to rate and grade I Love You, Man? So we have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. I wouldn't give Booker's a rating of Rock Gut. It's not that bad. But, yeah, it this is kind of like call bourbon for me. I think Paul, I think, oh, hold on real quick. Mm-hmm. I think Paul Rudd's name in that film is Kunu. Kunu, yeah, that's right. I can't believe that, yeah. Okay, so you're giving it a what? I'm giving Booker's a call rating. <laughs> That's an expensive call, man. No, I think I'm going to go single barrel, like single barrel minus middle of the road here. It's a great comedy, smart screenplay, great acting, um, a unique bromance. Man, we're tying Rush into that. I love that. You get all the praise for that one. Just really, I don't know if it's, it's just hard for me to give like top shelf for a comedy. And that's nothing against the genre, but... um. I also want to see how a lot of these films age as well. Yeah. But I, mean, I, I think it's a very unique comedy that I think 
speaks to me and what it's it's referencing. And I just, I laughed the whole time. And man, that's a win in my book. I'm going to echo your sentiment mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Not my go-to genre. So top mm-hmm. shelf in this for me is like three films ever. Yeah. And they're all directed by Billy Wilder. Or Leo McCary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, right, exactly. You know me too well. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I I think that it's really, really well written. Yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from with single barrel. For me, I've always sort of reserved that for the uniqueness of it. It's super high concept. Sure. But it's super high concept based in domestic rites of passage. And I think that was really from like 07 to like 14, the way most of those comedies that I really enjoyed were birthed. Mm-hmm. I can't give this a higher call plus than I'm going to do right now. Like the highest call plus that I can. Jackie Brown, I think got a very high call plus too. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I, okay. That's similar. That's about the place that it holds for me. I love this film. I will watch it over and over. Sure. Yeah. I'll never get sick of it. Uh, It's been a few years, but I saw some stuff in it this time that I hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. You can just watch it as, one off, go laugh, or you can break it down. That's good. That's such a beautiful place to be with film for me. And it checks all those boxes. It's not so unique in that it's almost a victim of its own circumstance. Those movies in that five to seven year period were all so good at this. Mm -hmm. The bachelor party, the first time you had a baby, the wedding party, the job, the breakup, the job, Mm -hmm. like all of that. Okay. So, because all that stuff by Apatow was so good, even though this isn't a Judd Apatow film, it might as well be like you said. <laughs> yeah. So call plus 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 plus. Yeah. It's 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 good. It is the um old forester single barrel crafted for Matt and Jesse, but not quite Pappy Van Winkle of films. How about that? That's pretty good. Pretty high rating, but no. I, I can't go. No, I know single barrel or top. It, it just sounds weird. Yeah. Excellent. I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this thing up with our nightcap. If you're ever in the car with me listening to Rush, like the gas accelerator or the brake will literally echo Neil Peart's drum beats. Like those rhythms are just ingrained in my blood. Like I, I know them too well. There's got to be a way to get your dial to 11 on that also. <laughs> like you can't play it loud enough. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. That song mm-hmm. and Beat It mm-hmm. by Michael Jackson, yeah. you cannot play it. For me, yeah. I, I can't play those two songs loud enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Excellent. I don't want to drive with you, but I'm with you. Well, you know, I'll, I'll play the music loud, but then the Moody Blues might come on. You'll 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 jump out of the car. Nights in white satin. <laughs> <laughs> I love our nightcap question, courtesy of Brett again. So, being that this kind of wraps up as a wedding and trying to flesh out a best man and a groomsman, he says, "What's your wedding party of comedy characters?" So, I think we did two groomsmen and a best man, and two bridesmaids and a maid of honor. So, do we want to go? Groomsmen. Why don't you just run through all yours and then I'll go through all mine. Okay, so let's do my bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my bridesmaids are 
You gonna give me two and then maid of honor and then two groomsmen? Yeah, let's do it that Adam. way. Okay, best man. So my bridesmaids are Elizabeth Banks as Miri from Zach and Miri. Okay. Everybody needs somebody as grounded and as real with things as Miri is in that film. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is between me and Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> I just love her. Sure. Yeah. That's she makes me laugh. Um if I could sit down and have dinner with five people, she'd want to be one of my probable guests. I just think I love her. Yeah. Okay. So she's in. Okay. I think she'd be fun. The other one I'm going to choose as not maid of honor, but bridesmaid is Rose O'Reilly, which is Jennifer Aniston in We're the Millers. Oh, okay. I want her. Okay. Uh, a little bit savvy, more savvy than Elizabeth Banks might be. Uh, some experience but down enough to know what's up. And then this was a slam dunk for me. I'm so glad that I got this question. It's my, this is not Piper Laurie who listens every week. I'm not going to give you Piper Laurie from the hustler Mm -hmm. for the first time ever. But in my comedic hall of fame, my favorite female character ever, 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 ever Mm -hmm. is Lucy Warner played by Irene Dunn in The Awful Truth. She's my maid of honor. Nice. Um, I don't even have words that could possibly do that maid of honor justice. Yeah. I'm just going to ask you to raise it up to Irene Dunn for me. Um, I like that movie. God bless you, Irene Dunn. Yeah. Why don't you do your your, my brides, your bride's side? Yeah. My bride's side, I'm actually going with Beth from Wet Hot American Summer. Mm. This is Janine Garofalo. Mm-hmm. Janine Garofalo made our podcast twice today, but yeah, how about that? It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Then I'm also gonna roll with Elaine. This is Julie Haggerty from Airplane. She oh, just, yeah. good one. She just, you, you know, a part I really like in that film is when uh, when they flash back to like that like dingy sailor bar I love and, it too. and they're dancing to Staying Alive. Oh yeah, and the guy's like stabbed in the back and he's like pointing to his back the knife and, his, <laughs> and she's like dancing. Oh yeah, <laughs> like his move. Jesse, that's good. Yeah, and then you need someone to lead the the, the la matcha at your wedding. Then. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I'm gonna give the honor of maid of honor to man. She failed expertly in her film. I'm gonna give her a second chance. It's Annie Kristen Wiig from Bridesmaids. I think she could, if she had a second chance, she would do it right this time. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, Kristen Wiig is a lot like for me, Steve. Carell. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's secretly really good that she's in. Yeah. She's really talented. I don't think I could be in the same room with her and not just like Die. laugh the entire time. Yeah. She does a killer, killer Catherine Hepburn and Judy Garland impression. Oh, really? Yeah. The, on SNL, there was um, the Vincent Price Halloween special. Bill Hader was Vincent Price. Oh. And he would always get these guests and like uh, she rolled in as like Catherine Hepburn or, and she just, she's too good. She's too good at it. I've never seen that. I'll have to send you some of the Bill clips. Hader doing... Oh. Yeah. How did I miss that? And Fr- Fred Armisen's playing Liberace. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> the only thing I know Bill Hader playing is Lindsey Buckingham all the yeah. time, and he never gets to speak. He's so good at that, too. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, huh? <laughs> Excellent. I love it. Who's who? You got on the groom side. <sighs> How deep did you go on this? Do you have an honorable mention? No. You just did two and one? Yeah. Damn. All right, so my first um, groomsman, 
I'm going to go with Peter Bretter. That's Jason Segal from Sarah Marshall. Excellent. I want him there. Uh, you know, you never know when the wedding party might go to hell and you need a puppet show, I guess. Mm-hmm. The second one I'm going to choose is, I think if you're going to have groomsmen, you need somebody to kind of lead the charge and be able to sort of rally the forces and plan the bachelor party. Yeah. Who better to do that than singles Trent played by Vince Vaughn? It's good. Vegas, baby. Mm -hmm. You're so money. You don't even know. That's great. And then my best man, my best man, my kindred spirit in this life has got to be Rob Gordon played by John Cusack in high fidelity. Yeah. That's who I want given the speech. That's great. It'll be honest. You're going to let him pick, uh, the wedding playlist too? Hell yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, he might just be the DJ. If he's yeah. going to spin it, I'll let him do it. That'd be great. So those are my three for the guy's side. Awesome. I am going to go with, for my groomsman, Clark W. Griswold. Yeah. You got to just think about like what that man goes through just to make sure his family has a good vacation or a good Christmas. Chevy Chase or Ed Helms? Chevy Chase. Okay. I want the character, not the actor at, at in the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, yeah but he he's very loyal and he'll see it through to the end no matter how crazy it needs to be then i want jerry and or daphne jack lemon from some like it hot mm. he could dress up as daphne if his if he wants in, in, sure. the, in the groomsman side yeah. but just what a fun person to be around like he'd be a laugh riot and he plays and he plays instrument too so yeah. he could be a part of the wedding band then the best man what does your crystal ball say <laughs> he's so good yeah the best man, it, he's got to be, you know, he said planning the bachelor party and this and that. I can think of a person who's just like could make the most incredible happen for you for your special day. And that's Ferris Bueller. Oh. Yeah. I mean, the guy got on a on a parade float and found a way to make that happen. Like, I can't imagine how him planning a bachelor party would be. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be pretty great. Right. Good so, choices. Yeah, so that's my wedding party. I actually want to read what, what Brett, Brett has. Okay. So Brett for groomsmen, he kind of lumped them together. Groomsmen and bridesmaids. He wanted Fat Amy from Pitch Perfect, which Rebel Wilson plays that character really well. Sure does. Tallahassee from Zombieland. That's Woody Harrelson. Agent J. That's Will Smith from Men in Black. Oh man, yeah. And then his best man, man. Brett's a baseball guy. One of his favorite movies is The Sandlot. He wants Hamilton Porter, the catcher from The Sandlot. Good choice. <laughs> it's really good choices. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I love that. I like making like lists of like characters, like where they would have no business being together Mm -hmm. and then they just have to like cohabitate together. Let the fireworks go off. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cheers, Matt. This has been, this has been a lot of fun talking about all these comedies, man. Cheers to uh, Todd Phillips, uh, you know, Cameron Crowe, Amy Heckerling and John Hamburg for kind of just crafting all these great comedies for us to talk about. We'll come back to this genre again and kind of, See what else we can dig from the pile. Someday you're going to give me a Cameron Crowe cast, aren't you? <clears throat> yeah, we have to. We have to. Mm-hmm. But not today. Yeah. Because there was a lot of films in that bowl that we didn't pick from that were like, hey, that'd be pretty good. Like, there's some good stuff in there. So we'll have to come back to that. Even, uh, uh, was it um, Carson? Yeah. Oh. Sent, like some of the classic stuff. Like that classic rom-com from... Screwball comedy. 30s to 50s. Bringing up Baby and Philadelphia Story. 
Well, and the awful truth. Mm-hmm. Let's do all three of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, bringing a baby would be so fun to do because to sit and watch that film with you, we would probably need to start drinking at 9 a.m. Yeah. I had an interesting experience. I watched that in like a film theory class and Ooh. I was just like, it was just so shrill. Both Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn in that film, they're both like talking like mile a minute. More Catherine Hepburn, but like that 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 film's nuts. If you had told me today yeah. that Janine Garofalo mm-hmm. and Catherine Hepburn were both gonna make our podcast multiple times today, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> Who knows what's gonna happen? Yeah, that's it. You never know what you're gonna get when you listen to this show. Mm-hmm. Vomiting stories at Shoney's in Branson, Missouri. <laughs> Disneyland. In Disneyland, yeah. Um, excellent. Matt, I'm really excited for what we have coming up. So today is May 2nd. Theoretically, this is supposed to be the start of the summer movies. Like, Black Widow was supposed to have come out yesterday. Right. So we're going to have to wait a little bit for that one. November and October and December are going to kick ass. You know it. It's going to be like boom, 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 boom. And, and all of 2020, 2021. Yeah, we're going to be so busy. Yeah. Uh, but... In lead up to that, we still got a little bit of work to do, kind of revisiting the well. But last year we did a great cask. It was one of the, my, the favorite ones that we've ever done. We did the Summer Box Office Hall of Fame with Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Karate Kid, and Ghostbusters. Shoo. Yeah, yeah, it's a good cask. I so we're gonna do part two of that this time, and I think we have an equally great slate of films to talk about from the 1980s. Matt, we're going to talk about a film, and we, we talked about Halloween being very important for me specifically about wanting to make films. This might be the most important film that's ever been released that's had an impact on my life. From 1989, we're going to talk about Tim Burton's Batman, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Kim Basinger. Do you own a copy of it? <laughs> Do I own like five copies of it? I've never seen it. Was it big? Yeah. It wasn't just... Hmm. All right. I'd actually like, uh, you'll have to go back into your way back machine for this one. Uh, I'd like to know what it was like for you in the summer of 89 when this film came out. Well, I'm glad you said that because I have a really great story to tell you next week. Excellent. Mm-hmm. As do I. I'm sure. We had two VHS tapes of this in my house, and I don't know why, but I was grateful for both of them. So I know that you're the high-tech kajillion, 50 kajillion <laughs> pixels guy or whatever. <laughs> Should we try to scare up a VCR and do it on VHS just to be in that space? I don't. I don't still have a VCR. We. We had to, But I have a great. The, the current version of this um, will do us well. Okay, you gonna dress up in your best '80s attire as well? I got this great shirt I'm gonna wear. I don't want to spoil it. We'll take a picture in it. It's awesome. I'll rock some DC gear next week yeah, for you too. There we go. Okay. It'll be an interesting conversation because I've we've talked about this before, and I know you're not like 100 on board with like everything in it. And then the reasons I like it are more like personal and nostalgia. like, yeah, nostalgia and man, it like it, it opened film up for me. It's been a decade, so it'll be a good rewatch. I'm looking forward to that. I guarantee it'll be better than Batman and Robin. <sighs> no, right. no great feet for this one. Mm-hmm. No great feet. Yeah. This is the first decent, I'll call it decent Batman film we get to talk about because we did that one in Batman versus Superman. That was a nightmare. Right. Excellent. So we, and then what's coming in the weeks after that is just going to be cool. We're going to have some fun stuff coming. A lot of fun stuff. So cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. I don't have anything to do today, but I just want to tell you, I love you, man. Oh, man, Jesse. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything great to say either other than I love you, man, right back. Excellent. I love you, Tico, bro. Hey. <laughs> I love you, Anwar Sadat. <laughs> Excellent, everybody. We love our audience. Thank you for downloading every week and listening along with us. Hit us up on any of the social media. 
Hit us up on uh, ricemileproductions at gmail.com. Leave us a rating or review, and we do this for you too. And my most Heather Grammy kind of way, God bless Ry Nation. Everybody have a good week, and we'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a comment at Productions at gmail.com. I Love You Man is property of DreamWorks Pictures, the Montecito Picture Company, Bernard Gale Productions, the Line Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, Brosif Gwibbles. I love you, Machacha. I love you, Tico Brohe. Okay!